Morning, morning, morning. If you're new here, haven't heard me preach yet, my name is Roy, one of the pastors here. Go ahead and take a seat for me. Bless the Lord. Take a seat. I am going to open up with some context, so bear with me. It's going to inform the message, and then in between then, we're going to pray together. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been covering the life of Jacob. And specifically, will be today in Genesis 33. Uh, Jacob is estranged, meaning he's separated from his brother Esau. This happened because Jacob offends his brother Esau. You see, eight chapters ago, Jacob took his brother Esau, who's his older brother, he took his birthright. That was literally in their times a right to land, flourishing, and essentially the most important was that Jesus would come from their lineage. In other words, I know it's getting redundant, it was a massive honor. And so that wasn't the only thing that Jacob ended up offending his older brother Esau with. The very next scene biblically is Jacob, the younger brother, then being coerced by his mother, Rebekah, to go and steal and snatch up not just the birthright, but the blessing. Culturally, the blessing was just this massive honor, a prophetic word spoken by your father, and it would tell you the future of your life. It was kind of like verbal versions of our written will and our living trust. And Jacob snatches that also from Esau. And in this scene that we're about to get into, it's been about 20 years since they've seen one another. Actually, the very last thing was the offended party Esau looking out to his brother and saying, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob ends up running away in response. And we are left with this pitiful, sad situation where Jacob, the offender, and Esau, the offended, are separated, estranged from one another. Okay, so we're fast-forwarding now from that last message that I had preached on 20 years to today's context. Mother Rebecca has died. She's passed. 20 years have passed. And they finally, the brothers come face to face. And if you've gone to movies recently, there's just a built-up anticipation if you're reading this passage. If you're following the storyline, you're thinking to yourself, what's going to happen when they come face to face? Is Esau going to make true of his word he last gave to his brother that he's going to kill him? Or is it that he's going to miraculously, but only by the power of God, forgive? We're going to read in today's text and see what happens. Genesis 33, verse 1. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front. Leah and her children next. And then Rachel and Joseph last. This chapter prior explains why Jacob is aligning his family. You see, he's threatened by his brother Esau. He doesn't know what he's going to get from his brother Esau when he sees him face to face. So he's going to align strategically his family so that if an attack comes, then one of the parties would end up being able to escape. We see the nerves of the offender Jacob as he approaches his offended brother. Look with me. We're going to read on. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, this is the scene we've been waiting for, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. 
Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. The offended party and the offender have come together, and we see forgiveness. A beautiful emotional response. Let's continue to read, though. Verse 5, then Esau looked at the woman. So this is the offended party, Esau. He's now looking at his brother's family, and he asks, who are these people to his brother? (laughs) It's just this sober picture of how grudges and resentments and unforgiveness can separate us so long from our most loved ones to a point where we could look at our once close brothers and sisters and say, what's happened in your life? Who is this daughter? Who is this son? Who is this person? It's all newness from what's happened in those 20 years. Jacob has a totally different life. That is a simple picture of what an estranged life looks like when there is no forgiveness there. Let's continue to read on verse 5 through 9. Jacob's responding here. These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. Then the servant wives came forward with their children. They bowed to Esau. Next, Leah with her children, they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward, and they bowed before him. Esau says this, and what are all these flocks and herds I met as I came? Jacob replied, they are gifts, my lord, to ensure friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. There is something sweet when forgiveness enters into the soul. We see two parties over 20 years now come together because of forgiveness. Jacob is offering, and we see in this text, continual reparation after reparation. And Esau, because the sweet sap and honey of forgiveness has been experienced, says, you're fine. We're okay. Stop apologizing. He doesn't want gifts. He has his brother back. And that's the beauty of forgiveness. Bless the Lord for the healing balm of forgiveness. Let's continue to read on because there's more to see here. Look at Jacob's reaction. Verse 10, but Jacob insisted, no, if I found favor with you, please accept this gift for me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile, brother, whom I've offended. It is like seeing the face. Church, crazy. The face of God. Who in here can testify that there is relief when you are forgiven? Oh, church, may we wake up. I'm calling you into interaction with me. This is good news. Who in here can testify to the relief of being forgiven? Four more people, bless the Lord. (laughs) Jacob says it's like seeing the face of God. It's euphoric. And bless the Lord for the thrill of being forgiven. But that ain't what this message is about today. We're going to read on because it has everything to do with with what happens after forgiveness. Bless the Lord, teach us. Verse 12, well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you see, my Lord, some of my children are very young and the flocks and the herds, you know, they're young. Just don't overdo it on us. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant, verse 14. We'll slowly follow at a pace that's comfortable for us. You understand, right? Uh, Esau acquiesced, he says in 15. All right. 
But at least let me, let, you know what? Let me bless you, brother. Let me assign some of my men to guide you and protect you. Jacob then responds, that's not necessary. No, 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 seriously. What you've done already is, is enough. I've seen the face of God and just you forgiving me. Bless the Lord. So Esau turned around and started back. Here's a city called Seir that same day. Church, notice with me what happens. Because he's telling his brother to go meet him at the city Seir. And then he says this. In verse 17, it says this, Jacob, on the other hand, after telling his brother to meet him in Seir, he travels down to Succoth. The city of Succoth is not the city of Seir, where he told his brother, who had just forgiven him, to meet him. Jacob lied, thus killing any chance of reconciliation. Reconciliation will be today's message. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, immerse your people. Baptize us. Your indwelling spirit, overflow. In Jesus' name, help us learn. Convict us. We give you all the room this morning to do your work. We trust you by faith. Elevate everyone in here, God, that we would walk out here differently. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, as long as there are people, this will sound familiar, in the world, there will be offenses. And as long as there are offenses, there will be a need for forgiveness. And as long as there is a need for forgiveness, there will be a need for reconciliation. Reconciliation means to reunite. It's to bring something back into relationship with more importantly, it's to bring back into relationship a friendliness, that you're on friendly terms with one another. That very last one I gave you a definition for, that's the true heart, the spirit of reconciliation. It's not just that we have a relationship back with the person that we offended. It's that it's one brought together back into friendly terms. Some of y'all are thinking just as I did when I went through this, that's a lot to ask a brother. That is a lot to ask. Roy, do you know what I've been through? I don't think you do. Listen, why don't you stay up in your high perch? You oversee the church. Let me handle my business. I know. Trust me, church. I know what it's like to be offended. I, I came to Jesus through an offense where I looked to my offender and I got no remorse and I said, oh Lord, where are you? If you're real, show yourself to me. I feel what you feel. And it is difficult to get there. But, but, if we don't make attempts, like literally, if we don't make attempts to reconcile, it will cost us a steep price far more than you or I would ever be willing to say or do right now if we had the foresight and could prophesy and see that. You see, the closest people in our lives today, by tomorrow can be the most distanced, and by weeks, months, and years down the road can be non-existent in our life. Why? Because as long as there are people on this earth there will be offenses. And here's what happens with an offense. It distances us relationally. 
so that we continue to drift and drift, and unless something's done, it will not stop. Now, blessed be the Lord, the beauty of forgiveness is that it stops the relational distance from widening. Hallelujah. But forgiveness is limited in this sense. It doesn't bring us back to one another. That, my friend, is reconciliation. Making efforts to get back to a restoration of friendship. Church, messy relationships, either present or in the future, will literally grab your attention. It'll be like your kids always begging for attention. Mama, mama, papa, papa. It will in the future or even now be clamoring for you to give it attention. And you're going to want to recall what was said here today. Not because I'm eloquent or a skilled preacher, but because God has a word from his word today. You're going to want to recall this message so that you can walk with an awareness and skillfulness and in discernment on your future attempts to reconcile. So we're going to jump back into the text, and we're going to see what that is. We're going to make some observations, and Lord willing, it will empower our future attempts to reconcile. Verse 3, then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to him and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept a picture of forgiveness. Twenty years of estrangement in which you can't help but think Esau must have been stewing over that, no pun intended, stewing over that over and over in his mind. Oh, what I'm going to do when I see that dude. Oh, what I'm going to do when I see that dude. And yet we find him here, by the way, forgiving his brother. And it's interesting. The last time we see them together in a few chapters prior to this chapter, uh, about four, five, six chapters before this, the last thing he's saying, as I alluded to earlier, is I'm going to kill you. The next thing we see 20 years later when they're face to face is hugging, wailing, weeping. That's the beauty of forgiveness. Church, that's the power of God. That is what he can only do. Uh, Church, forgiveness happens before reconciliation. It is what makes restoring a friendly relationship even possible. In other words, uh, reconciliation is the next step, here it is, after forgiving your offender. It comes after we have believed truly that God not only saw our offense, but it brought up sorrow within him. Didn't just bring sorrow within him, but he felt compassion for us because God cares for us. And it's not just that. Reconciliation comes after we've chosen to not withhold forgiveness, not punish our offender further. And when we have used forgiveness as a key to unlock us from the jail cell of bitterness, resentment, or anger. Reconciliation happens after that. And it's because of forgiveness that we are free from something and free to do something. We are free from bitterness, chains, and enslaved to sin. And we are free to reconcile. 
Look with me in the text, verse 12. We'll see it here. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. Esau forgives his brother. And how he wants to, we see this in how he wants to lead his brother back to restore their relationship. Let's go back home, brother. But this is then reinforced in verse 15. We see he's continually saying, hey, let me not protect you. Verse 15, all right, Esau said, but at least let me assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Bless the Lord. Esau is pursuing reconciliation. He's not stopping at forgiveness. That was the weeping moment where he and his brother experienced healing in that moment. Esau is going naturally into the next step, and God is inviting this church to do both. Forgive and to reconcile. It's unique, right? And we want to separate the two. But they're not. They come together. Just like when we go and we purchase shoes, they come in pairs. You don't just go and purchase one shoe. You end up buying the pair of shoes. That is forgiveness and that is reconciliation. And get this, church, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He not only forgave us of our heinous sins and offenses towards him, he then chose to reconcile us. And we understand that forgiveness was necessary between our imperfection and a perfected God in order to be in friendship with him. Not just relationship with him, but friendship. Romans 10 verse 5 reads, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The NLT, the Lord's anointed aversion, says it this way. For since our friendship with God was restored while we we're still enemies. God pursued us while we were looking for meaning outside of God. He pursued us while we were focusing on our kingdom and will being done. He was focusing on us. And let's be real. Ever since We've come to repentance and believe born again saying, whether it's 50 years ago, 75, just yesterday. Let's be real. We have a tendency to float back into the BC versions of ourselves. Let me, the before Christ versions of ourselves. We go into intimate times with the Lord and experience the blessing of, of him giving us attention as we give him attention in time in our quiet times and then the very next day we give more time and attention to our screens we experience the blessing of following his voice and then we neglect him the very next day and church he continues to pursue us he, can, he never relents we cannot exhaust him and it is because of this church that we can genuinely empathize with those who have offended us because we realize by the Holy Spirit's revelation that we've offended God in worse manners and he will empower us to get to a place where we can attempt to reconcile with others and for some of us those people who have offended us who we then have forgiven boom right we've forgiven we're in this circle over here but we haven't yet reconciled with, some of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Though we may not see them here at church, some of you may have come to this church because 
you've forgiven, but you can't stand aside of the other Christian at your former church. Or maybe it's vice versa. We've known that from experience and overseeing this church. But I just want to remind us, church, that in the new heavens and the new earth, after our last dying breath, we're going to be all right with those people. I means all right. We are going to be all right because the new heaven and the new earth is sinless. So then my question, I think, to myself during this preparation was, why not attempt it now? Why not attempt it now? Church, I just want to share some wisdom from a friend who was in leadership at a church, and then conflict happened. They made decisions, and then church hurt happened. And then, by God's grace, I'll give you the end of the story, reconciliation happened. He and his bride made some decisions that caused their friend group within the church to act in a way that was offensive to them. Many of their friends began to act out in ways that just weren't like them. And if you've ever experienced church hurt before, it can be excruciating. So my friend and his bride were in a mature enough place in Christ where they reached out to their friends, got across the table, and talked with one another. They wanted to, quote, clear the air. My friend expressed what offended them, his bride and himself. And then what happened next was nothing but fascinating. Because the people who offended them across the table, after hearing that, then went to go explain why they did it. And it was crazy because my friend said, I actually understood where they came from. They actually had good intentions. But the enemy, my insecurities, even some of their hiccups caused confusion and we ended up being separated from one another. So because of that conversation, he said it was actually the beginning of reconciliation. Because we came to a table and we said, I understand where you're coming from, church. Sometimes we are a conversation away from reconciliation. Where the enemy, our insecurities, whatever it may be, has made us interpret certain people's actions this way. And although they were legitimate actions, they, we judged them incorrectly because we you know, didn't quite know their intent. Or maybe if we, you know, but there is something special about humbling ourselves and just clearing the air. But then, then, church, there are times when reconciliation is impossible. Can not happen. During this message, if you've been thinking to yourself, man, I got some obstacles. I don't know if this will really happen. The text is going to address it right here. We will see Jacob pulling away from his brother Esau in an attempt to separate himself. Verse 12, well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, I will meet you in Seir. Okay, yeah, I'll meet you down there. Just let me be. All right, Esau said, but at least uh, let me assign some of my men to guide you and protect you. Uh, Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir, where his brother told him to be. Jacob, on the other hand, contrary to what he said, traveled to Sukkoth. Esau is attempting to go to the next step, past forgiveness and reconcile. 
but he is not getting the same effort from his brother. It's evidenced by Jacob lying and saying, go here, and then goes another way. Friends, the key difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is that forgiveness takes one, reconciliation takes two or more. In other words, let me say it a different way. You do not need your offender in order to forgive them. You can do the heart work with your papa in heaven. And he can mend that, you can go vertical, and that's all that is needed. On the other hand, it takes two to tango. If you want to be then reconciled to that person, it takes the other person as well as you. Church, sometimes it is impossible to get together and reconcile with the other person if they are unwilling. It's like partner dancing with someone who said, no, thank you. The question has to come then is, what do we do then? Let this be a blessing to you. We stop striving. We let go. And we let God. Let God handle it. Right then, someone should have been set free on the spot. Because that is good news. Look with me, Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on us, on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, sometimes we try our absolute best. But if they aren't going to match their effort with our effort, if they're not going to put in the same energy and do their part, there cannot be a relationship. It's impossible. It's almost like talking to a wall. Some of us have been apologizing and apologizing to the person we've offended, but they aren't putting the same energy and effort into meeting us trying to restore the relationship. Friend, if that's you, you have permission biblically to stop making the effort. God's saying, I'm good with you. Stop striving. Sleep well, baby, it's done. That is God's mercy on our lives. Bless the Lord. And moreover, reconciliation, it's just not always wise. Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In other words, above everything that we do, guard our feelings and our thoughts. Why? Because it literally determines the path, the course, the rest of our lives. In other words, real simple wisdom. If you are married, it is always unwise to reach out to your former lover, to reconcile. Yeah, it's, it's too real for TV in here, but it's happening everywhere. It is not wise. Why? Because sex is a powerful thing that just bonds and unites two people. And when you attempt to reach out to that person, insecurities in your flesh or memories the enemy will use to torment us, God is calling us to say, forgive them and let it be. You don't need to reach out 
and try to restore a friendship with that person when you're married. And side note, since I'm up here and I guess it's okay to do this, here's, it's just a mini sermon for those of us, those of you who are not married yet. Watch how you treat your temple. Watch how you treat your body. Because if you've given your life to the Lord, it's, it's actually his property. And God is powerful, and he will heal and restore all past hurts, sexual, whatever, fill in the blank. But most time it's excruciating. And the enemy, whether you get married eventually or not, will use that in certain seasons to undermine your closeness with him or even your spouse. Praise the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing do not trust yourself in approaching that method when trying to reconcile. Lastly, church, can we just kind of make a pact this morning? Can we not be the Jacob of the situation? You know, you know the, the unwilling party when it is wise to reconcile? Can we actually match the other person who we've already forgiven or they've already forgiven us, can we match our effort with their effort? Because God's best, honestly, is reconciliation, if possible, as so far as it's wise, and we have say over it. And if we look the other way, church, if we see this and say forgiveness is good enough, although it's wise to move forward, I just, you know, I'm just going to stop there. It's not very Israel of us. Does that sound familiar from last week's message? It's not very, quote, the meaning of Israel. It's not very governed by God of us. It's not very, in other words, born again of us. It's not very Christian of us. You see, the scene before, which was last week's message, Justin delivered, Jacob wrestles with God. That's his name. God gets him then to confess his life of deception by saying, my name is Jacob. He's confessing, which means deceiver. I lived a life of deceiving people. And then he ends up giving Jacob the name Israel, governed by God. And right now, because that was literally the scene before this scene I'm preaching on today, we are seeing a spiritual infant learn to live out his identity. He is, and, and by the way, this is not just when you get converted. I was in spiritual infancy, what seemed like a little toddler, for like five years after knowing Jesus. So it could literally be that you've been born again for 50 years, and God's asking us to mature right now through this word. So this happened, this wrestling, this new name this happened before the meeting today with Esau. So we're seeing him learn that. And I bring this up because many of us have made mistakes attempting to reconcile, whether it be unwise or literally blockading and stiff-arming the person trying to reconcile. Interpret it this way. Mistakes of a toddler. Trying to walk when you could only crawl trying to do the right thing without experiencing continually the love, forgiveness, reconciliation of Christ our Lord. 
and then continue to move on and ask the Holy Spirit, please empower my future attempts to reconcile with others. Church, I also bring this up to remind us that we are governed by God. If you said yes to Jesus, we are governed by God, and it is befitting of a born-again son and daughter of the Most High to look like him, which is reconciling when it is wise. And for my friend who hasn't yet followed Jesus yet and can't say, yeah, God governs my life. You don't know me that well, I'm sure, but I lived 19 years of that, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, more satisfying, pleasurable, and long-lasting with eternal benefits that change a person's trajectory of life than following Jesus. Saints, if you can testify, go ahead and give him an amen. Let's pray out. God, you're good. All the thoughts you brought up today are good. Your word is good. Your character is good. And you have our best interests at heart. Don't let us walk out of here unchanged. And also give us peace where it's unwise to reconcile. May we reflect your heart and forgiveness and reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.